Welcome to In Defense of Humanity. This is Ostries House Miller. Of course, Khalid Johnson is here. And today we're joined by Trey Lapine. Trey, please introduce yourself. Uh, hi, everybody. Uh, this is my second time on In Defense of Humanity. Um, last time I was here talking about uh, like the alt-right rabbit hole on YouTube and like a rise in alt-right politics in the modern era. Uh, today, uh, I'm here still an undergrad student uh, studying biology and philosophy um, with a larger passion for conservation work, um, things like that. Um, so I'm here to talk about a more environmental topic, uh, still political, because uh, this is important, but I'm talking about um, like environmental conservation um, and modern politics and a troubling rise in uh, eco-fascism. And Trey actually hosts another podcast that we highly recommend our audience to go listen to if they are fans of animation. <laughs> I'll, sh I'll show my stuff at the end. I'll keep my shells till the end. Hey, stick around until the end because we may not allow him to advertise until the end <laughs> of the show or the middle of indefensive time. Go subscribe to our Patreon. Oh my God. You better let me advertise on the main show. You better. Oh, I'm going <laughs> to, uh, no, I'm glad to be here. Um, anything else or can I get into it? No, I go for it. Okay. So, um, I'm good to swear, right? I'm just got to double check. We'll, we'll check explicit on this episode. Okay. Okay. Uh, two things, um, th that I need to say before, uh, like I get into it. Mm-hmm. From a climate standpoint, the planet is royally fucked, but I'm still very hopeful. Those are the two things. Okay. Um, the planet's kind of on fire. Uh, it's one of the hottest years on record. Uh, the busiest tropical storm season, or tied for the busiest tropical storm season in recorded history. Um, there's only been two years as busy as this year. Uh, like the largest wildfire season California's ever seen. Australia was on fire at the start of this year. Depending on how you look at exploitation, we can kind of tie environmental problems and issues to this uh, the COVID uh, pandemic. So lots of things are going wrong. Um, so that's that's the the ecology. Uh, that's your environmentalism bit there. Uh, the second thing that I want to talk about is fascism, which is a far-right political ideology uh, with uh, tendencies towards uh, traditionalism, anti-intellectualism, anti-science, um, authoritarianism um, generally, right? Like uh, anyone who wants to can go read Umberto Eco's like 14 points of fascism, right? Uh, a country or state need not hit all 14 to be fascist. Mm -hmm. um, as it it's more of a tendency, less of a very defined word, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and in times of strife, you often see rises in authoritarianism, rises in fascism, right? And I, as well as many other people, wiser than myself, have noticed a rise in what I'll call, and what they will call eco-fascism, right? And this is a breed of fascism 
in which people will do one thing when they really mean another. And the thing they are doing is using environmental problems um, and being like, well, the environment's dying. We have to be authoritarian and fascist to save the planet for the good people. And they're trying to like use environmentalism uh, to hide behind uh, or to, to like justify fascist uh, actions and beliefs and uh, political policies and things like, like that. But what they're really doing is just, at least normally, pushing the political positions they already held and just using the cloak of environmentalism to push them, right? So you'll hear people like, uh, I've heard lots of people, even on places as big as Fox News, try and like scapegoat the climate crisis on immigrants and use it as like an anti-immigration argument. Um, like I've uh, heard Tucker Carlson say things like, I'm in favor, like so had someone describe socialism, then have him say, I am in favor of socialism if that's what you mean for the common people, right? But the way Tucker Carlson talks about things, he's kind of dog whistling to like cishet straight white people um, with property, which like they deserve rights, but so do all the other people, you know? Um, what are you talking about? <laughs> egalitarianism, get that shit out. Uh, but it's really troubling because in the past decades, we've had a tendency towards anti-science climate change denialism, right? And initially it was people saying climate change wasn't real. And then it was people saying it's real, but we're not causing it. And then it was people saying it's real, we're causing it, but that's not a bad thing. And then now, uh, because you can't keep denying, you have people saying it's real, we're causing it, it's a problem. But then saying the solution to it is to do far-right authoritarian fascism, um, which is kind of terrifying. Uh, and that's the broad gist of like any sort of topics I kind of wanted to discuss today. Hear what you guys had to like say, hear your thoughts on uh, issues related to this. We can talk about uh, fascism. We can talk about environmentalism. We can talk about like eco-terrorism from the left and the right if you want to. We can talk about um, political ideologies uh, to combat fascism, right? We can go a lot of different routes with it. I just think there's a lot of interesting dialogue to happen uh, in this space. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I find it, okay. So, so I'm gonna think about this as someone who is not necessarily anti-establishment. Is that isopod? Uh, was that, did you say, was that in the background isopod? Yeah. Um, so what he's referring to is a guy I live with has like 400 isopods in our room. He breeds them. No, I don't know who that was. It was probably Andrew, which is history of major roommate going to get dinner. Uh, or maybe like Garen. I have no idea. We got people all around. Indeed. So, so uh, to get back, sorry, I lost track. I heard movements. Um, <laughs> I, I do find it ironic how we are moving towards a fascist state. The, the irony comes from the flux of America, uh, the United States of America as a nation, because we were anti-fascist, obviously, in the 30s, 40s. We had Nazis, right? We, we touted that we were anti-fascist whilst 
performing fascist activities in order to subvert fascism. You see, because we still have colonialism, we still have a widespread imperialism, 30s, 40s, um, all of the protectorates in the Arab Peninsula, um, Saigon, uh, Japan. We, we have places in Asia, Africa, where we are being fully fascist, but we are fighting other fascists because they do things that we deem um, uncouth, you know, mass sterilization, imprisonment. Yeah, that's the irony of it. We're, we're doing forced hysterectomies. The irony <laughs> of it does not even come from modern history. The irony comes from Tuskegee trials with syphilis. Oh, yeah. On, on oh, soldiers, yeah, airmen. Uh, mass sterilizations up until the 70s, 80s in the South. The irony equally comes from <laughs> Japanese internment camps as well as other people from uh, the East being before, before getting involved in the war, there mm-hmm. was actually a relatively sizable American Nazism movement mm-hmm. who were uh, in, who were like kind of down with all the stuff that was going on over there uh, up until America went to war um against like the axis powers obviously so we we have a long history of fighting other fascists i guess because we like to profit instead of them it's okay until it's someone else but therein lies fascism to its truest nature we attack the nazis in germany because they're german nazis they're killing jews we as not not me personally but we as american um not white supremacists but you know protectors of the 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 pale bloodline nah um, say it with your chest white supremacists <laughs> <laughs> but I'm, I'm saying how they would say it, you know you know we're protecting anglo-european uh, tradition we're traditionalists yeah. as you said in the beginning we're traditionalists we're protecting yeah. Um, marble-skinned people, alabaster, what have you. And, and that nowadays they like the term identitarian. I, oh, I don't like that. <laughs> they, they like white. They like. They're like. I'm not. I'm not a white supremacist. I'm not a racist. I'm just a white identitarian, which is a. I, I, yeah, I love yeah. how, you know, where there's enough introspection to sit and be like, yes, no, white supremacy, bad. <sighs> But I have the exact same value system. But I just don't it. want to be labeled that's that's part of the KKK, I guess. That, that's why fascist alt-right members don't like Nazis. They're like, oh, they did this to the Jews. That's so terrible. But at the time, late 18th, late 19th century, early 20th century, Jews, Ashkenazis, were not considered white. So now that Jews are considered white, uh, Ben Shapiro included, of course, and his sister. Uh, yeah. Abigail. It's, I wasn't going to say her name. <laughs> but they're now included in the, in the white diaspora. Uh, so so uh, um, I think this brings up another interesting and important point to note about what fascism is, right? Mm-hmm. On the base level is that fascism as an ideology is in many ways inherently contradictory. Yeah. Um, and it's stuff like touting that whatever you are trying to defend, whether it be the nation, race, whatever, is the best, 
-hmm. while also denying science in every way you can attempt to prove things. It is touting your enemy, right, as an almost endlessly powerful foe that must be overcome for the good of society, but also eternally weak enough that you can squash them under your boot, mm -hmm. right? Um, it's about acknowledging that other countries or other groups do bad things and then using the state to do things that are as bad or at times worse than those things uh, and justifying it in whatever way possible, right? Uh, that's another like key aspect of fascism is this sort of like, um, for us, like ironic contradiction, right? Mm -hmm. For the general fascist, just sort of, they don't, like it, it, ignoring that as part of the deal, you know? I mean, but you have people, right? Um, thinking about the alt-right, you know, that don't particularly understand the fascism that they're touting, right? You have very outspoken groups of people, um, particularly the ones that have less power than the authority that they're praising, right? And they'll be open, you know, being anti-Antifa, which as an ideology is just being opposed to fascism. Definitely. Um, as, as we know, my, my uh, personal um, obligation, I won't say obligation, my personal entanglement, to use the words of Jada Pinkett Smith, with why, why are why are people always revving their engines? But as, <laughs> as my entanglement with the U.S. government continues to this day, I can say I am anti-fascist, but to claim to be Antifa, unfortunately, does get you put on a list, even though it's not a group, right? It's just yeah. a, a mindset that everyone in every nation should have yes that's what happens when a fascist takes power and just starts saying saying that the idea of antifa <laughs> is worthy of a terror watch group and then uh refuses to call like the group of like ancaps who tried to kidnap the michigan governor uh anything other than a militia group you know um there's just some pretty obvious biases at play uh because the militia group was six uh, like right-leaning white guys who did anarchism because they're doing the fake anarchism instead of like being Antifa, which is generally a relatively intersectional, multicultural group of anti-fascists who don't uh, adhere to leadership or a specific set of rules, you know? Mm -hmm. See, now, now here, here I have to analyze ourselves and others that I've seen. So... You know, just these are all right now, anyone who's listening, the words of In Defense of Humanity do not represent the uh, Saturday morning anime podcast, uh, Khalid Johnson as an individual, <laughs> Trayla Pine as an individual, the U.S. government as an entity. It does not even represent my own beliefs. These are just my observations. Please yeah. don't put me in Fort Leavenworth military prison. <laughs> Continuing from there. I will say that I see anti-fascists. You say intersectional. I agree with you fully. 
But then I think of the people who I often see, like, represented as anti-fascist, you know, like a Banksy poster, but throwing a Molotov cocktail. Long-haired, white guys. Okay, but isn't that, like, I'd argue that's that's that's, that's just, that's, that's, that's media uh, portrayal, that's right? That's anarchist it's... as well. That's, that's, like, far, that that's, how do we say, it? that is far radical. Right, because Antifa has to be radical if we're establishing that the state is fascist, and the fascist state would be reactionary, returning to what was old. Yeah, yeah. Sure. So they would have to be identified as radical. I wouldn't necessarily say because of the media representation that they have to be anarchists, um, um, or that all Antifa think the same. Because once again, it's, it's not that. A group. It's that we're at a point where those are buzzwords, right? Yeah. And they're, they're buzzwords meant to vilify. Absolutely. Um, considering that our, our current government state is very authoritarian, right? You don't want anything that would challenge that. And therefore, as we veer ever closer to fascism or are already within a fascist state, you know, you have to vilify anything that would oppose that. Anything that is anti-fascist mm. vilify it um anarchism when it within our capitalistic state you have to vilify that because that is an alternative um that's like an alternative to what is presented um i think a thing that needs to be said right is the difference between like lowercase a anarchism and uppercase a anarchism right mm -hmm. Um, where like lowercase a anarchism is the act of inciting some sort of disorder or chaos or uh, anarchy, right? Whereas the uppercase a anarchism is uh, like a political ideology centered around egalitarianism and the removal of unjust hierarchy, right? Um, and most people don't make the distinction, right? And I'm not saying I identify with any of uh, the terms either way. This is just sort of like an important distinction to make you know um and this actually ties back into like um the environmental side of this right uh because i do know some people who self-identify as like uppercase a anarchists right uh or like uh mutualists right to borrow from kropotkin or syndicalists or ancoms or whatever term they want right and it, in my personal worthless anecdotal experience, it tends to come off a lot different than media portrayal. Uh, it, it mostly seems to be people who are from a broad, like broad swath of backgrounds, just sort of doing community service work and direct action and things like that, you know? Um, but to tie back into something else I want to talk about, um, I, I do not see um, the portrayal of anarch of like two things. First of all, the, um, the portrayal of like, it's a white guy with long hair throwing a Molotov as uh, anarchism, as super representative of that. Cause it, they really like portraying it that way because then um, your news networks can do id poll where it's like, yeah, it's not even actually the people of color who are asking for all of the help. It's just angry white kids who want to be violent and hit cops. 
which is a thing that I have heard said on more than one news station. <laughs> um, so I, well, I, I get it. I, I have some qualms with that portrayal generally. The other thing I wanted to bring up was a book that I really like um, called Post-Scarcity Anarchism, which is a book by Murray Bookchin, uh, who is a political uh, theorist that tries to take um, like ecological look um, at hierarchy and modern politics, basically, and how you could do like a non-hierarchical anti-fascist society um, in a world post-scarcity, like where all human survival need is met, right? Like that's the point of the book. Um, and like, I can ramble on and on about uh, all this stuff, but there's there's two things to drill home on, which is one, this idea fascists like to use called the tragedy of the commons. And the tragedy of the commons is the idea of like resource overuse by all of the people makes it so we can't live uh, like um, sustainable lives, right? So we have to limit resource use to the chosen people, whoever that ends up being, right? This is the kind of thing people use to justify really hard anti-immigration stances or really hard racial stances or stances of um, like basically denying people uh, rights based on religion or a variety of other factors because they're like, well, though those people are going to incorrectly use the land and then we won't be able to eat. And the we is like them pointing at all of the fascists, basically. Um, and the reason I brought a book chin is to say that that wasn't true for anyone listening. Uh, the tragedy of the commons doesn't work like that. And people, uh, big shocker, the fascists are using um, science incorrectly to justify their uh, evil beliefs, you know? Who could have, wow, big shock. Um, Bookchin basically theorizes that like, and Kropotkin and other people in all these books are like, what needs to be done is general, um, like mutual aid. Um, some people will have to work in fields, right? And people will have to work a variety of jobs, but in a society with the level of automation technology we have currently, if things were distributed in a healthy way, you could theoretically see a society in which no people were dying um, because of like starvation or homelessness, right? Like we could, we could effectively beat starvation or homelessness uh, in our lifetime if we did things correctly. I don't think that's going to happen if I'm being completely honest, because uh, I think like this tragedy of the commons rhetoric and logic uh, from like the fascists is pretty compelling to people because at a quick thought, right? It just sort of makes sense. There's not enough stuff, right? Like it, it because it's so easy to bite into if you just hear it. Mm-hmm. Um, like it does scare me a little bit that that's a trend that we're going to continue. Uh, so sorry mm-hmm. to ramble there for like that little bit there, but like not giving cool. tragedy of the commons like requires that you immediately yeah. explain that it doesn't work or you feel like you did something bad. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. When, when I hear tragedy of the commons, I think of um, economic theory um, through a business lens, not necessarily um, political lens, even though they're uh, they often go hand in hand. connected. Yeah, they're, they're definitely, once again, Jada Pinkett Smith entangled. You know, <laughs> they're, they're in a, an affair with each other for certain. You can't have modern politics without economic theory, which is why I do like socialism and you know 
as a baseline without economic theory because once we start to bring in economics then we have Lenin uh, Stalin we, we fall to communism which is in fair assumption eventually leads to fascism just with a social overlay um in in the context of authoritarian communism uh like i'm with you yeah that that does happen like um you look at the history of like the russian revolution and stuff uh basically every single person except for trotsky was wrong and terrible and as soon as uh lenin wasn't there to keep stalin from murdering trotsky mm -hmm. everything went horrible like instantly yeah um so like i'm with you uh in private conversations like i think you generally advocate for like worker co-ops and market socialism basically oh, yeah. Oh, right yeah. yeah that's that's what i figured just because i know uh like to get us all on the same page because that's where yeah. I, I feel like you've yeah. come from mm -hmm. i just I, I don't think there's any system that doesn't risk authoritarianism oh yes that's fair like, I, don't, I don't think that it's possible unless you have like a capital a anarchist system where there is no central authority any anything that has like whatever central authority risks authoritarianism that's just the reality of systems see but but the thing is right we we spoke about um before um like government subsidies how we know the dairy industry just just very specific exists solely because of the second great war because it was being produced to dehydrate to ship over whenever the troops came back the the allied supply of dairy and eggs was an exorbitant amount so they had to sell it somehow with the expectation that eventually it would wind down farmers would stop producing their shift back over to meat um, farming uh, plants for for sustenance you know go back to the older style of eating and then they realized um, you know just hypothetical I'm making um, all this dairy let's say seven dollars a gallon drastically um, higher than what it actually would be I'm selling it for five dollars a gallon way higher than it actually is uh, just go with it but the government is paying me twelve dollars to make that loss so they're making up for my loss in in greater amount than if i didn't sell it if i just grow something else and i'm not getting that subsidy so i'm i'm making money but i'm making far more money taking a loss on my farming to supply a false scarcity so then we fall to destroying the environment. We go to eco-fascism, where we're destroying the land, the dust bowl, making soil unarable. We don't have enough land to grow enough. This is one of the biggest problems in modern corn. Um, mm -hmm. The corn industry is not profitable at all for farmers without government subsidization, right? Uh, this is a huge fucking problem for corn farmers to the point where, like, in my ideal America, we probably wouldn't grow corn anymore. Like, we just wouldn't do it because of how um, inefficient it is for price internationally. Um, I, in the short term, am fine with government subsidies for things like that, but I would much rather restructure the system in a way that we are focusing on more profitable um, and more sustainable means of food production than 
so that we can avoid subsidizing things like that, right? Like instead of a focus on like dairy or like corn or something, you build like massive warehouses for growing smaller plant stuffs, like yeah. a variety yeah. of beans and things, which you can be incredibly efficient with space and um, rotations. Yeah. You can build like massive buildings where you're growing um, thousands of meals worth of like beans and rice and stuff in the plot of like 10 cows, yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, with like layered farming and buildings and stuff like that, right? Like I, I would much rather advocate for a push towards that to fight things like um, food deserts and to fight things like damaging the environment through over agriculture use instead of like just subsidizing people and being like, yeah, just keep fucking making corn, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you, you hit it on the nail, what I advocate for, and you, it seems, agree. Uh, the co-ops, so like we, we spoke, I, I was talking to Khalid about this, in Hendersonville, um, a few of us work in Hendersonville at times during the summer, which is in um, North Carolina, in Henderson County, near Asheville. They have a co-op, and it's basically uh, like an REI, but for food. So it's like a grocery store, Hendersonville co-op. And then local farmers have their things there in season. They have toilet paper. They have everything you need. So you pay like, I don't know what it is. Let's say Zoom cost, $149 a year. And then people are like, that's that's too much. But then you go to the co-op, right? Imagine 50,000 people. There aren't that many people. 5,000 people <laughs> go to this co-op and, and spend this money. And they, they go in $149 a year. And they go in and then the toilet paper, instead of being $1 per roll, it's like 12 cents per roll. So they're saving money on the back end because they put in the front end. But not only that, but it's supporting the local farmers. They get their vegetables slightly cheaper. And the co-op's fee, because it is a co-op, a cooperative corporation, is having tax levied by the government. So, you know, a little bit for them as well, because it is still a company a corporation yeah but also because it's tied to the city taxes help it out a little bit for people who don't fund into the co-op but not that much and the farmers get more than they would have if they subsidize do you know <clears throat> if it does like the last step of being a co-op where it does like actual workplace democracy and like employees all making the same amount or similar amounts of money I, if if i'm not mistaken it does like like Aldi, right? But yeah. also like Aldi, I do believe there is like a head honcho somewhere. They may yeah. not have actual, you know, actionable uh, yeah. authority, but they're the ones who like built the building, you know, architect or what have you. They built they may not be able to fire people. It may be like, hey, this is a full democracy. I built the building, so obviously I'm receiving like um was it royalties or yeah. whatnot? from the extra but then also the people who are part of the co-op like most other co-ops are receiving those um royalties or those dividends at yeah. the end of the year as well so we sold over what we need to sustain ourselves so we're giving back to the people who funded us yeah i think um stuff like that's a great step in the right direction for, <clears throat> for creating community support right because it also helps you meet people in your community which is really, really important for doing things like small scale, like environmental or political action, right? Um, I also like 
generally am really in favor of like like full worker co-ops where um like there was a game a game and technology company relatively recently where the name escapes me where the guy who found that it was making like two million a year and was paying um under six figures to all the few people who worked for him and he was like well i'm pretty content is this seventy five thousand dollars a year uh, I, d- I don't know, but he was like, uh, he came down and was like, look, I can pay everyone that I work for, from my like salary alone, I can bump every employee of this company to above a six figure salary. And like everyone who works here, myself included as the boss will make the same amount of money. Okay, right. I have heard of him. Yeah. And workplace happiness spiked, mm-hmm. um, workplace productivity spiked, all of their quality of lives spiked, except for the, um, the CEO guy who stayed the same. Mm-hmm. uh comparable you know um and he just sort of gave more money and more power to people working for him and they were all happier and more productive and were able to have more input in the way they controlled their lives and uh like stuff like what you've described and stuff like that uh like across the board seems to be really successful we just kind of work in a system where that's not the norm so it's not mm-hmm. encouraged or supported that much by like uh, the government or anything currently, because you know. Why w- why wouldn't you want to hoard your wealth, right? <laughs> you it make money to keep it. End. You're not supposed to share. You you know the thoughts of someone who comes from let's say an impoverished back. I can't say poverty. Even even my level of poverty growing up was significantly lower than the lower than middle the, class to yeah to, to yeah. poverty levels like from yeah. from that range. Yeah, yeah. like like. I, I had it not easy, right? People at school would be like, you had it great. Your mom your mom worked for you. I'd be like, yeah, it, it always seems great from the outside. But like, yeah. I, I know I wasn't living in Darfur or Somaliland. I, I know it wasn't, it wasn't like that. But equally so, I, I do believe that whenever we incorporate all these things, um, equalize, make co-ops of everything, we could we could go two ways you know we could go for the kids who are listening um if they don't know about communist russia ussr in the in the final days of ussr it was a bit like the hunger games that's pretty bad this is true less child fighting the, the same amount of starving um but we could equally go towards a place where you know we are the actual united states of america where you know georgia pretty pretty arable soil alabama very arable not really anything else in alabama (laughs) good soil Uh, so boom just grow native plants and rotate crop species so we don't have soil deterioration we don't have topsoil destruction um and then you know obviously we have the breadbasket of America, Oklahoma, Kansas, yeah. just, just growing things there and sending them around the country. We have Nevada, which is should be a resort for people who like sand. I, I don't know. <laughs> I'm, I'm not, I'm not super Nevada. keen on sand. People, I don't know, shipping and water, that doesn't seem like the most logical thing, but they could live there and that could be subsidized, I guess, with the Hoover Dam. Uh, shipping and water that's i don't know uh i i'm i'm an advocate that we should just all leave places like nevada and just let them chill 
use it for exclusively scientific research and just sort of agree to not live there. But I do think if, if Nevada is open, the, people are like, oh, a lot of the places are unarable and we're not going to develop. We should just give it back to indigenous populations. I agree with that, except for the fact that even like Chippewa, um, Navajo did not live in the areas that people are talking about for that very reason. You're not just going to be like, hey, we got the massive, massive desert right here in Nevada. You want your land back? (laughs) We walked across there to get to our our summer lands. We didn't just stay here permanently. Whenever we were free before you guys got here, we we could move anywhere. We didn't just, sure, we chilled here. Maybe whenever you were here, we happened to be in this place. And you're like, cool, we're going to take their land. But maybe you just took our land because you're like, oh, you, if I can't have it, nobody can have it. I'm going to keep it until I can develop it. But in reality, they were like, we were just resting here until we moved to more fertile ground. We weren't permanently staying here. So giving them this is like another slap in the face to be like, hey, you don't want it anymore. Yeah. It's too much work. We'll give it to you. And then the worst thing yet, right, like exactly like what happens in, in Lakota, Dakota Territory, you know, wipe out the buffalo. The buffalo start to be reintegrated, unfortunately, adding European bison admixture. And then some, some let's call them Anglo-American farmers come through right now, right now, and goes like, hey, I will buy your farm on this reservation with 6,000 head of buffalo. There aren't that many buffalo. I need to stop exaggerating. There aren't that many buffalo. That's good. <laughs> we, 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 we ruined the bison and buffalo populations, y'all. I will give you, for your 60 bison head, I'll give you $18 million. That, that's, that's an amazing amount of money. Little does the farmer who grew the buffalo know that their bison meat would then be, this is good for health. This is good. It's so much better. It has less cholesterol than beef. And they're upselling it to people who live in more wealthy places so then the the rancher who decided to buy the the bison right after this farmer cultivated the land made it arable again brought back the bison you you wait until someone else solves it and then you buy it from them instead of putting in the work yourself that's exactly what i feel would happen with co-ops right you get um less privileged communities to, to develop a place, gentrification, you, you have less developed communities living in a place, and then you decide to come through and um, swoop it out. And we're back from the ad break. Thank you for our advertisers. We really appreciate it. We're trying uh, to get paid out here. Who are your advertisers? I, I'm asking. I'm asking in 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 cast, not in post. Who's the advertisers? Are you just gonna um, you just gonna put a five second block there? It's the uh, the Trump administration. <laughs> Yo, if the Trump administration slid me a check for over twenty thousand dollars, if you accepted it, I'd, I'd they're, quit. They're the show. an advertiser. I'd leave. They're, they're an advertiser. Khalid. I'd leave the and show. You, chief. you very well are getting half of that money. And I'll distribute it to the communities that need it. Do it. Do it. There you go. Um, so 
it seems to me like what what you're what you're trying to get at is um, that if we do not implement the policies that are like going to help make things better, right, and alleviate tensions tied to both exploitation of natural resources and exploitation of uh, like less privileged communities, right, um, that things are going to go bad again, mm-hmm. right. Uh, which is always a fear. Like that's just like flat out when you are trying to um, fix problems, there is always the chance that um, the same things that caused the problems initially rear their heads and you have to deal with those problems again, right? Uh, this is where I say, I bring in my, my part two from the very beginning where I say, I'm a very hopeful man uh, for if I was not, life would be much more difficult as someone who studies conservation biology um and 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 things like that right uh because i am willing to take the workplace democracy um try and fight national homelessness and starvation um challenge full frontal i'm I'm willing to just take it head on and go all right uh we got to figure out how to get people more power in their lives we got to figure out how to feed starving communities. We got to figure out how to protect massive swaths of the environment and start doing rehabilitative work. We have to get invasive plant species out of here. Okay, we got to get all that shit out, right? Uh, I'm willing to look at that and go, and if we do it wrong, we're still fucked. But if we don't do anything, we're already fucked. Uh, so we take stabs at it, you know? Like, um, I am doing amphibian conservation work right now. And it's like, yeah, there's a pretty decent chance that going out and studying what amphibians live around here uh, and then trying to save them won't do anything. And we will still lose this biodiversity. Uh, But I'll be damned if I'm not going to try and save them because salamanders are really cool. You know, Um, that's how I feel, but towards the plight of all oppression against humankind, basically. Um, I don't know if you guys ever seen those pictures of like the stacked, uh, like like bison and buffalo, like skulls, where they have like small mountains of them. Uh, We have done us some environmental exploitation in this nation. Mm -hmm. Um, We have done us some... Uh, exploitation of native peoples. We have done us some exploitation of underprivileged groups the, of, of a variety of kinds the country over, as we talked about uh, internment camps. We used to work people to death, you know, like we used to not have uh, any like rights for like average people, like at all, you know. Um, but like, I'm, I'm hopeful, you know. Uh, it, it does take a lot of faith in people, right? And here I'll, here I'll call out like another, another like uh, ideology, uh, mutualism, which is a political philosophy uh, close to, depending on who you ask, like a, it's left-leaning, right? Um, and it's just sort of like, mutualism is built on the idea that social interaction and support is necessary for the success of a society. Uh, Whether you look at that from like a progressive centrist lens or like a social Democrat lens or like a hard, hard left or even a 
kind of a hard right stance if you want to, which I guess you could do hard right mutualism. Um, there's this like basic uh, faith in your ability to work together with other people to fix the problems that um, Kropotkin calls like um, a factor of evolution, like a necessity of the human race uh, is like mutual support between people and like helping your neighbor uh, so that they can help you, right? Um, so when we look at all these problems we're going to have to overcome, it literally comes a lot to me to be like, I got to trust some other people and we just got to fucking try to make the world better, basically. You are so optimistic. It is so, <laughs> it's so endearing. I love, I love to see it because, you know, as divisive as we are, um, especially over the course of the last four years, right? It's kind of like, how, how are we going to reach across the aisle to, uh, to, to, to actually practice mutualism with individuals that are just as opposed to reaching across the aisle as we are? Yeah, that's, um, that's a difficult, that's a difficult one because there are lots of people, I know people that are far, far politically aligned on both sides who are very much not in favor of speaking to the other side. Like I was having lunch with some people the other day and they were basically like, I refuse to acknowledge the existence of anyone who would have voted for Donald Trump. And then you see people uh, on the news being like, anyone who supports Antifa is literally subhuman. And you're like, well, gotta try and make those guys work together to make the planet better. <laughs> um, I'll be damned if I'm not gonna try, but yeah. It, I. Never in my life uh, have I, uh, I will not currently do it now, and nor will I ever in the future uh, attempt to claim that it is not going to be like the most difficult task ever faced by humankind, probably. Because <laughs> um, I, I, I am someone who, who thinks that the climate crisis and things tied to that is probably one of, if not the biggest problem humanity has ever faced or caused for itself because we did do that um but like we got it um, don't lose me in that sure my car has emissions or whatever <laughs> I occasionally eat meat but hey my my bio my ecological footprint is so much smaller than these multi-million uh dollar corporations oh exactly i'm not a big fan of like the uh just don't use plastic straws narrative you know <laughs> uh because like if you look into how that came about it was literally like lobbyists and advocates for like massive energy companies mm -hmm. being like, if we just make the people think them using plastic straws is the problem, we can make them lower their quality of life while also not taking blame for the fact that we're literally killing the oceans, you know? I, de I definitely saw something because um, you, you, you're you aware of the um, doomsday clock that went up yeah. in Times Square, right? Cool. And I read something and, and the article was like, yeah, you know, this is, their heart's in the right place, sure, but you're putting the brunt of, you know, the ecological crisis on people who can't affect the same level of change as these corporations that are literally funneling out these emissions, you know, they're not, like, they're, yeah, sure, on an individual basis, are we, we have ecological footprints that we should be mindful of, right, we should all do our part but you have these huge corporations that do more than multiple people combined. 
not only multiple, uh, tens of thousands. Tens of, of thousands of people. <laughs> <laughs> tens of tens of thousands number. of thousands. Uh, hundreds of thousands of people. Um, like the 50 largest carbon footprint entities in the world are literally like 45 energy companies and like five transportation companies. You know, it's, hey guys. <laughs> uh, and I'm not even like someone who would self-identify as like, anti-company or anti-corporation or anything like i said what i advocate for is like workplace democracy and like working like enough pay so that people don't starve to death you know um i'm even fine with like ceos making more money than people they work for traditionally you know because like we're not gonna jump into a society where everyone like makes the same amount of money and i'm not even sure that would really be optimal given the current state of things but like built greed too far into people's um, uh, mental conditions right now you have to exactly like, an entire population of people yeah which is why all these problems are intertwined because that even goes back to like how grades work in school and how they they get you in elementary school where they teach you like this crucial competitive to a fault individualism through like numeric grading scales and like superlatives and stuff like that which in practice don't seem that dangerous, but then you realize they're building a society full of people who are bred to not cooperate. Mm-hmm. Um, when how things have always worked is that humanity is like the common individual uh, of no difference of race, uh, religion, creed, uh, background, uh, economic status, like, like none, of, none of that needs to be a divider. Uh, people need to come together, you know, and we'd have to restructure the education system. We'd have to restructure a lot of how um, generally the world works, like on a broad scale, you know, because like that, that rugged individualism to a fault is something that pays off in the real world currently, you know, Um, which are some of the largest barriers to, to getting over that hump to try and solve like problems like the climate crisis. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So where does this leave us, Shreya Pie? Where do we go from here? Okay. I can tell you the kind of things I advocate for, um, for general change, right? One, do, uh, you as the listener, you as other guests on the podcast, do your best to support the campaigns of, vote for, and offer financial aid to um, basically politicians who fight for more progressive policies when it comes to things like worker rights, human rights, and climate crisis uh, handling, right? Um, well, I don't think things like the Paris Climate Accord or the Green New Deal are like perfect, you know? I, I don't, I have big flaw, I have big, big problems with how those are being run. A step in the right direction is a step in the right direction. And I, that, full stop, right? So do what you can to support your communities where you live, right? Uh, meet your neighbors, you know, go out, work food banks, set up nonprofits, uh, work with like mutual aid disaster relief funds, um, donate your time and energy to making the places you live better for the people in your communities, right? Um, Because that will allow you to build um, like camaraderie and like a rapport with people around you. And if you can do that, you can start further advocating for more progressive politicians who are in favor of dealing with things like the climate crisis, right? Because if you know all your neighbors, 
and then one of your neighbors decides, hey, I can run for mayor, right? All of you guys go, oh, I know Joanne from down the street. She'd be a great mayor of our city, right? <laughs> I, came, I came to this realization whenever I was filling out my ballots and talking to Chastity Duffy. She's running for mayor of her city, Green Cove, eventually. And I was like, if I run for mayor, they're going to kill me here. Yeah, yeah. But if, if, if you've been a face in the community, right? Mm-hmm. If you've worked jobs in the community, mm-hmm. if you've become friends with people in the community, um, then you can advocate for whoever needs to get put in the position of moderate power or you can fucking run if you want, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's all about gaining small scale power and um, camaraderie with your fellow people. Uh, because eventually you'll have groups of that, like pockets all across the country, right? And you'll be able to get together in larger groups and eventually advocate for larger changes, whether that be um, larger changes for like the policies of a certain political party, or whether that be the arisal, like the arrival of a new um, large political entity in the country, right? Who can advocate for these kind of things. Um, it all starts on like ground level, do what you can in your community stuff, um, as well as just like researching. You know, there's plenty of excellent online resources for learning about. Um, political philosophy, environmentalism, the the biodiversity in your area. Uh, as people know, we are from the southeastern United States, right? Uh, not going to dox us too hard, but Southeast U.S. Um, was recently dis- uh, like defined as one of the world's uh, like 36 biodiversity hotspots. We yes. are the newest yes. one. Um, because we have an incredibly large number of endemic plant species mm-hmm. and an incredibly large number of specifically like amphibians. We're a very amphibian oh, yeah. biodiverse oh, yeah. area, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, among, among many, many other things, right? Like we have rich variety of fungi as well. I remember um, a friend told me, they told me uh, Appalachia, whenever we were, we were yeah. hiking around, that Appalachia actually if you drop someone from same latitude in China into like a trail in Appalachia, they would think they're home. Uh, yeah, we, we have very similar areas uh, when it comes to like how it feels to be in the wilderness to areas of similar uh, like levels on, on the globe, right? And that's really cool because it means like, Uh, you can study these other areas and their environments, or you can study the environment of the area we live or wherever the listeners may live, right? Uh, Because like I said, there's 36 of these international biodiversity hotspots. Uh, Even if you don't live in one, there's there's things in your area you can do to like help, right? Um, If you want, you can do smaller lifestyle change stuff. Like I avoid plastics. I'm big on reusable uh, well, I still eat some meat and some red meat. I'm generally trying my best to cut back, you know, trying my best to live uh, as sustainable a lifestyle as possible, right? Because every tiny drop does help. Um, but generally what I advocate for is most important is like, we got to work together starting from the ground up if we want to stop the incoming tides of fascism and stop the incoming tides of the climate crisis because if anything can beat um, fascism and the world lighting itself on fire, it's all of the not 
it's all of the people who don't think those are good things getting together, putting the fire out, and convincing the fascists to be better people. I see, I see, I see. Okay. Okay, so we can do things to help. It, the, the change won't truly come until we, we unify as a species and do all these things. But at, least, at least as a nation. Yeah, we can make movements, right? It's, it's the same thing. Always mention the party paradigm. If I say I'm not going to the party, Khalid's going to say, well, he's not going to the party. I'm not going to the party. Eventually, no one's go. All you have yeah. to say is Khalid's going to the party, and then he might whisper and say, I'm not going to the party. Just say you're going to the party. And then other, oh, he's going, I'm going. going <laughs> they're going, I'll go. And then eventually, you know, Khalid's the only one who's like, well, I'm not going to the party. And it's like everyone else going to the party looks like you're about to go to the party. So your initial <laughs> yeah. was not a lie. It was a future truth. That's dangerous and subversive, but it might be the only way to get changed. Look, if what you have to do is be a little underhanded to get people to, to do community service work, if you have to like b bother and bug your friends to come with you to go to like work at a soup kitchen or something, if you have to like um, annoy a professor to let you take a lab session of your class to go and like remove some invasive species or like plant a garden on your campus or something, uh, if you need to like convince your family to... Uh, donate money to like a local community garden, right? Like whatever you can do, you're gonna have to be a bother, right? Um, like in, in the words of many people uh, wiser than myself, uh, get in good trouble, you know? Like it, it, it's fine if someone, uh, it's the ends justify the means a little bit, not like go out and force people at gunpoint to go and plant like potatoes or something. <laughs> um, but generally, it's about knowing your neighbor and uh, staying informed and staying like an active citizen and a healthy participant in society. Um, and the thing that I always tell people is most important, and I'm not like a life advice guru or anything. I'm just a guy who cares about the environment. Um, take care of yourself, dog. This is, we end every episode of my other podcast with like a wholesome message for the week, you know? And it always comes down to like, thank, uh, thank you for being the best you can, you know, and remember to take care of yourself because um, let's say that like a happy, excited, well-rested, well-fed, um, healthy version of like you, Oz, right, mm -hmm. uh, can do a 10 out of 10 job in helping stop uh fascism or the, the climate crisis or whatever right or like uh, planting um flowers in your neighbor's yard for free because they're an elderly couple and they want flowers mm -hmm. uh if you can do a 10 out of 10 job while healthy and well rested well fed and hydrated it is your uh responsibility to try and keep yourself there because the tired version of you or the dehydrated version of you or the sick version of you or the not uh well fed version of you uh, won't do a 10 out of 10 job. Mm -hmm. And uh, in the long term, this will allow all of us, this is building infrastructure to allow everyone to get better quality of life so they can stay at that 10 out of 10 level even longer. You know, mm -hmm. uh, it, it starts really small, but if you get the ball rolling, like 
Khalid always tells me uh, it is very endearing slash adorable uh, the lengths I will go to to remain optimistic, but like, we got it. It's all good. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. Khalid, do you have any thoughts? I'm envious of Trey's optimism. <laughs> yeah, no, these past few years have definitely made me a bit more cynical, but you know, re- re- do the best that you can. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that, that optimism uh, rubs off on people, you know, and yeah, do the best that you can be the best person you can be, you know, because that's how you contribute to making the world better. Whatever it takes, as they say in Degrassi. Oh, of course. Look, Degrassi, heat, it can stay. Degrassi got my back. Uh, but yeah, uh, one thing I will say is don't take like my endless, my, my, um, I just took a nap after a long day and I'm on a podcast now, like optimism, because this is a higher optimism level <laughs> than I am at sometimes, you know, like today was a tiring one, but a good one. Um, it's okay to like, not be optimistic about it. Like we're in the middle of a once in a lifetime economic crash for the second or third time in our lifetime. The f- we're living through the fourth deadliest event in U.S. history, and it's looking like it's going to be competing for that number one spot if we don't handle it in the next year or two. Mm-hmm. Um, the planet's on fire. Life is stressful and hard. We also have our own daily responsibilities and our physical and mental well-being and stuff. So, like, it's okay to not be okay. As long as you don't give up, dog. That's it. That's that's all I can say. Uh, the environment and what's happening to it is terrifying, and politics and what is happening in it is terrifying. But that doesn't mean we have to be terrified all the time, and it doesn't mean we're going to lose. And once again, in the words of someone much wiser than myself, I'd be a really huge dick if I got annoyed at the stuff I was dealing with because people before me have had to deal with a bunch of worse shit, and they were dedicated to making place uh, making the place better. So we can deal with my shit. You guys can deal with your shit. The whole audience can deal with all their shit. And eventually uh, I have faith in things turning out better than they have been. Excellent. And because we are in an economic downturn, because we are in a pandemic, I say, even though we're about to jump to in defense of time soon, and this will be exclusive to Patreon, as everyone already knows, and we will be saying some things that violate uh, sensibilities, so I highly recommend you go and pay for it. It's $3 a month starting. Why not go pay for it? But we're also in the name of liberty and justice for all. We are starting a fund on GoFundMe called Friends of Indefensive Humanity in which we raise funds and we divvy it up equitably to everyone who has been on the podcast who has lost work during this pandemic everyone so unfortunately professors who've been on the podcast i know you got jobs because i talk to you all the time uh, but <laughs> people who have lost work whether you be a creative whether you work somewhere whether you're if you work for the department of defense you still got a job as well you get salary don't play games with me but Anyone who's lost work, that's obviously Khalid Johnson, Xavier Jacobs, yourself, Trey Lapine, anyone, Sam Choi, anyone this is true. who's creative. He's going to dox us on the podcast. Yeah, he's going to throw all these last names out there, bro. He's going to throw these names out here, Chief. Creatives, right? You have less opportunity to meet people in the real world 
than you would have before. Sure, you can DM people, but if Khalid's history shows, he's probably not going to DM anyone. Because <laughs> I have to contact everybody, even people he knows. You're the social one, Chief. I'm I'm here to make you look better. That's my job. And that's why we're starting a GoFundMe. Because <laughs> if we're unwilling to ask for help, no one will help us. We don't necessarily need help, but some people do. One of y'all gotta, one of y'all gotta own up and run that Twitter, because uh, I run my podcast's Twitter and it's fucking great. One of y'all gotta do it. That will be twitter.com slash ido underscore pod. Did you get a Twitter? Is there an official one now? You got we do one. Have a Twitter. Let's we, go. I'm so proud of you. We 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 got one like a few weeks back. Two weeks. Hell yeah. Can I can I show my stuff now? Have I earned the right? Absolutely. Go for it. Okay. Um, I'm Trey. Uh, my Twitter is at satanimepod, S-A-T-A-N-I-M-E-P-O-D. Uh, I run Saturday morning anime podcast, uh, with my, with my co-host Xavier. Um, most, we try and drop them Saturday mornings. Life gets chaotic. You know, midterms happen, me miss two weeks, but we're about 15 episodes deep right now. Uh, we brand ourselves as the um the casual person's anime podcast we got a bunch of different topics for a bunch of different interests within the the field we talk about japanese culture american culture um the animation industry itself uh animation some art theory some music theory uh some writing we tend to keep it relatively analysis light and opinion heavy because we want it to be more of like the casual uh, throw it on when you're when you're having your morning coffee on a on a Saturday kind of deal, but uh, give us a check out. We're on all the all the platforms. Just type in Saturday morning anime podcast. Uh, shout out to my boy Khalid here who did the art for our, our fantastic podcast. Uh, he got paid twice instead of once because we're generous and very stupid. Uh, Xavier sent him 30 bucks and then uh, he posted a thing about about supporting small artists and I sent him 30 bucks and he's like, ha ha got my 60 for that for that podcast art. Um, but yeah, uh, glad to be back for another season of uh, In Defense of Humanity. I like this show. I, I'm, a, I'm an avid listener. I, I keep up. Um, yeah, that's about it. I don't, I'm not going to shill personal socials. Just go follow the, go follow the, the anime podcast. Give that a listen. Better or, if you hate anime, which is also perfectly valid, like live your truth, kings, queens, and otherwise, right? <laughs> I know y'all got friends that love anime and shoot, shoot it their way, you know? Um, Even if you hate anime, you should just listen to their podcast because because Trey and Xavier's, uh, their chemistry, they bounce off each other so well. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to lie. I don't hate anime, but even me, a non-anime enthusiast, listen to the two-part um well, I listened to the first part of the Yu-Gi-Oh! series. I came back for the next Saturday, Trey. You got some explaining to do. Okay, and okay, wait, wait, wait. was not released. <laughs> so midterms happened, right? You know, midterms, we take um, midterms and education very seriously at the Saturday Morning Anime Podcast. We took some time off. We had recording troubles. Mm. Then um, we got busy with, like, other school-related things. Okay. We recorded episode two, which is the final part of the um, the Yu-Gi-Oh! Like, duo episode last Thursday. We got halfway through it, Wi-Fi crashed. Oh. So we had to so we had to record a second half to it on Friday. Um, and I run the Twitter uh, and show up 
And Xavier is the part where you're smart and you're funny and you do the editing and um, all that stuff. So he's handling all of that um, and it will be up uh, soon. And then after that, I don't know. Um, ooh, ooh. This is the big uh, in defense of humanity um, listener secret that you guys get that the Saturday morning anime podcast uh, doesn't get. Like they're like our listeners don't get. The reason we never tell anyone what episode we're gonna do next is because we literally pick it like the day before we record. <laughs> I was so happy when we, after recording the first episode of the Yu-Gi-Oh! Uh, retrospective, because I texted Xavier. I was like, dude, I'm so psyched because I know next week we're doing Yu-Gi-Oh! Like, I don't gotta, I don't gotta stress the whole week. Like, are we gonna talk about sports? Are we gonna talk about Dude, uh, some other shit? Before, in, in the first season of Indefense of Humanity, 2018, <laughs> I quite literally had a guest come in, um, you know phd talking about climate change and he was like so what are we talking about guys me and i and i looked at each other and we we're like what do you like and he was like well you know i study a sickle fin red horse and i was like let's go uh that's All beautiful and, i love that and, and came up with the right on the spot and he looked like oh these guys knew they knew what they were doing they did research not at all not good at all. I'm proud of you. Question. Yeah. Has this been, uh, has this bit been in defensive time? Are we just going, you're going to cut it part way through? No, 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 no. Oh, okay. We're, we're about to jump in because we're about to say some vile stuff. Khalid's about <laughs> to get canceled in in defensive time. That's right. $3 a month will get you access to in defensive time as well. You know, I'm throwing in a bonus. Exclusive access to the Zoom call video. You can see what my new hairstyle looks like. I'll give you a hint. It's none. There isn't any. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah, okay. We'll talk. We'll talk about that on in defensive time. We'll, we'll get okay. Uh, we'll, we'll go in. So, to anyone who has not heard, that is the Saturday morning anime mm. podcast available on all platforms except for Stitcher because for some reason you have to submit everything to Stitcher. They'll get on that. We'll talk about that. Get them on Stitcher. We're working on it. We we uh we got uh, we're everywhere else. We're we're everywhere else. It's relevant, you know. Subscribe to In Defense of Time via Patreon. Three dollars to one hundred dollars. If you got the guac, go ahead and give me a hundred dollars a month. But also our GoFundMe page, which will be up before this premieres, and will be shared on the social medias, will support the friends of In Defense of Humanity. That sounds like me, but I'm not a friend of In Defense of Humanity, so it'll be everyone else. If you start making a hundred bucks a month from this from somebody on Patreon, I'm gonna start charging you to have me on this fucking show. <laughs> hey, we, we get your money, King. Get your money. <laughs> well, anywho, we'll we'll be able to discuss uh, why that won't be happening on in defensive time. Goodbye, everyone. <laughs>